Let us pray. Shatter the silence, mighty God, with your glad and glorious greetings. Banish all our fears and give us faith in Jesus Christ, the risen Lord. If there is anything said from this pulpit that is against your will, let it come to naught and do no harm. But if there is anything said from this pulpit that is according to your will, let it be heard, as if sung by the voice of angels, that hearing we might believe, and believing be more loving. Amen. I think I was in seminary the first time I ever had, or can remember having, blood work done. I was told it was part of a normal physical or something. They told me I couldn't eat after midnight, right? And I'm a rule follower, as we all know. So I didn't eat after midnight. Before midnight, though, and see, the... The night before my blood was taken, I happened to be at a game night at my friend Duncan's home. We were playing some fancy German game, and Duncan is a true Renaissance man. He could, and I'm sure still can, do just about anything. He had a great short game in golf, one of those guys, you know. He knew how to fly fish, spoke Russian. I'm not kidding. Duncan McLeod was a great dad, a champion at fencing, a true Scotsman, and the first guy I knew that could pull off a kilt. <laughs> I know some of you have been praying about my announcement I made earlier, and I know that you're already feeling the urge to join me. <laughs> Phil, I know. I know, Phil. We'll work it out. But this is Duncan. Like most seminarians, Duncan had a tobacco pipe as an accessory for appearing sophisticated. But unlike most seminarians, he knew how to keep it tamped down and lit. And on that night, the game night before my blood work, I learned that the man could also bake a mean batch of chocolate cookies with raspberry chocolate chips. I ate many of them, all before midnight, of course, because I'm a rule follower. And the next day, I let them take my blood and thought nothing of it until the phone call. <laughs> Mr. Phillips. We need to talk about your blood work. It turns out those cookies had set off some major red flags. I visited with the doctor who put me on a plan with a nutritionist. Yeah. All along the way, I tried to tell them about these cookies. And they really didn't want to hear it. It didn't matter to them. What mattered to them was the next test and the diet that I might need to change in order to make it better whether I understood how to properly take care of myself. 
I wanted to keep rehashing it, explaining myself, going over it again and again. It's not me, it was the cookies. Desperate to rehash it, desperate to explain myself. We spend way too much of our lives doing this, rehashing things, going over it again and again when it isn't going to change anything to go over it again. Is it time to let it go? Is it time to get on with the new plan, the right plan? We say that we seek fulfillment. We want to be happy. We say we seek this beautiful and positive contentedness in our lives. But as Sylvester McNutt says, most people never heal because they stay in their heads replaying corrupted scenarios. Let it go. God doesn't spend time rehashing the past. At least not today. When it's time to move forward, to move the, the people toward the fulfillment of his great promise, he lets go of what came before. Genesis 1 to 11 is known to scholars as the primeval history. Genesis 1 to 3 are the creation stories. Genesis 4, Cain and Abel. Seven to nine is the story of Noah, the ark, and the flood. And then in 11, we have the Tower of Babel. These stories represent our tradition's accounts of the first years of our life with God. And there are varying degrees of failure in each and every one of them. Genesis 1 to 11 represents God's history with the world, the primeval history. Starting with Genesis 12, though, we begin to follow a new narrative, one of God's history with one particular family. Ready? Hold on. It's Abraham's family. Abraham comes along, and so does Isaac. Then Isaac has Jacob, and Jacob has Joseph. Joseph finds himself in Egypt which is how later we find Moses there. Till he leads them out of there into the wilderness. Whereas protege, Joshua, leads them across the Jordan River and into the promised land. A promised land that's led by judges like Samson and kings like Saul, Solomon, and David. A promised land that gets cleaned out when the people are exiled to Babylon, a promised land that's home to the temple, a temple where Jesus taught as a child, and a temple that turned on him and had him put on a tree on a nearby hill. So yes, Genesis 12 is a hinge from a time before to the future that God intends. It could be, I think, that Genesis 11 inspires this new trajectory for God. This is the chapter where the people decide to build a tower in a place that's called Babel. 
They say, come, let us build for ourselves a city where the tower reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we'll be scattered all over the face of the earth. It's the last straw for God, at least of sorts. He had the fruit in the garden, the murder of Abel at the hands of Cain, the trouble that caused the flood in the first place, and now this. The people convinced they could be gods building the Tower of Babel. God starts fresh, though, with Abraham in Genesis 12. He promises Abraham a blessing, a family, and a land to call home. The promise will later become known as the Abrahamic Covenant. And it's unique since, as Walter Brueggemann says, the promise is God's power and will to create a new future, sharply discontinuous with the past. The promise is God's resolve to form a new community wrought only by miracle and reliant only on God's faithfulness. God is gracious in starting fresh with us. That's what's happening in Genesis 12. God is willing to start fresh with us, to let it go. He takes it upon himself to start fresh with us. He makes this promise to Abraham, promises we get to appreciate by his own grace and love for us. But miraculously, he lets go of what came before. God doesn't come back to this over and over again. Do you hear God in the Bible bringing up the Garden of Eden even one time? It doesn't come up. See, if you hadn't eaten this fruit, we wouldn't be in this situation. Don't act like you haven't used that tone before. It's over. It's over for him. There's something about us that knows if we could, we might be able to live into the future of fulfillment that we might be seeking if we could do that. We know this is true, but it's hard. It's really hard. So hard. There's this great scene from a movie called Swingers, which I never thought I'd quote in a sermon. <laughs> but it's a good scene where Mike and his friend Rob sit in this diner together. And Mike is desperately pining for a girlfriend that's left him. And Rob tries to advise him to let it go. Mike says, okay, so what if I don't want to give up on her? Rob says, you don't call. He's convincing him, don't call her. Mike says, but you said I don't call if I wanted to give up on her. Right. So I don't call her either way? Right. So what's the difference? I mean, at first, Rob says, you're going to pretend to forget about her. You'll not call her. I don't know, whatever. But then eventually, you really will forget about her. Mike says, well, what if she comes back to me first? Rob says, mm, see, that's the thing. Somehow they know not to come back until you really forget. 
Mike, there's the rub. Rob says, yeah, there's the rub. One author said, it's time to stop cheating on our future with our past. It's time to stop cheating on our future with our past. Jung says, I'm not what happened to me. I'm what I choose to become. It's over. God let it go. He had to. He didn't have time to rehash. He wanted that new future for the people that he loved so much. And it couldn't just be God, though, right? I mean, Abraham had a part to do, too. He had to leave. He had to be willing to let go of where he was living. He had to try something new. And so do we. But Roar says, God has a hard time getting us to join Abraham and Sarah in leaving your country and your family for a new land that I'll show you. Yet that is the foundational paradigm for the journey of our faith. He goes on, I will encourage you then to try something new. Change sides. Move outside your comfort zone. Make some new contacts. Come to the Arcaders. Roar didn't say that. I did. (laughs) Let go of your usual role and attractive self-image. Walk instead of drive. Make a friend from another race or class. Visit new neighborhoods. Go to the jail or to the border. Attend another church service. Then you can live yourself into new ways of thinking which then seemed so right and necessary that you wonder how you would ever have thought in any other way. Is it time to try something new? Could that be the first step in the fulfillment that you seek? Does the old just keep wanting to confine you? Confine you to your comfort zone and and demand that the old is rehashed over and over again? That's something I admired about my friend Duncan. He was always willing to try new things. This is how he became this Renaissance man. He didn't know he could flop a shot with a pitching wedge until he tried. He didn't know he could master Russian until he dove into it. He didn't know he could bake cookies. Cookies so good they almost put me in the hospital (laughs) until he stirred up a batch. There are all kinds of new things to try in the world. There are new things that God is doing and he hopes we will join in with him. God is running a renaissance too. A renaissance of love where the poor are given a chance A renaissance of peace, where we give up on trying to have a perfect life. A renaissance of compassion, where people who have been knocked down get another chance. A renaissance of acceptance, where people will come to know that they don't need to try to be something they're not. A renaissance of assurance, where we all know from... The time here with Father Abraham, all the way through the cross and resurrection, that God may let go of the past, but he will never give up on us. 
not because we are rule followers, but because there's one thing he can't help but rehash over and over again into eternity, and that is his love for us. Amen.